Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Hey there, everybody. Happy holidays from MLB Pipeline. I'm Jonathan Mayo. This is a very special end-of-year Pipeline podcast, wrapping up at least one of the most bizarre years uh, in, in baseball history, certainly in the last several. So many things that we couldn't have accounted for as we were looking forward to the start of 2020. The COVID-19 pandemic has impacted so many of us uh, in so many more serious ways than than just a, an interruption of, of the normal baseball patterns. But it certainly threw the baseball world for, for a loop. On our end in the prospect world, no minor league baseball, uh, no Arizona Fall League. Uh, on the draft side of things, the 2020 spring was tremendously cut short, making the 2020 draft uh, uh, an adventure to say the least. It was only five rounds. So it, it definitely was challenging in trying to find ways to cover it. We hope we brought to you a best selection possible of, of covering prospects, prospects who are alternate site camps, prospects who are at instructs. This week's episode, as we wrap up 2020, is going to be a look back at some of our favorite segments from 2020 course because we're MLB Pipeline even when we're looking back we have to look ahead one of our favorite things that we do we love a good draft and Jim Callis and I go back and forth picking players in this case we're really looking ahead to the 2021 draft you can go back and look at the December 1st podcast if you want to hear the entire episode but Jim and I took a crack at what we think the top 10 would be if we were picking for each team starting of course with the Pirates who have the number one pick in the 2021 draft. Take a listen. The top 10 picks for this year go to, in this order, the Pirates, Rangers, Tigers, Red Sox, Orioles, D-backs, Royals, Rockies, Angels, and Mets. So in a thoroughly planned out uh, discussion, we decided that Jim and Jonathan are going to make their picks for these top 10 selections and uh, Jonathan, by virtue of complete arbitrariness, you have been selected to go first. You will pick number one overall for the Pirates, your hometown Pirates. Uh, right. So that's why I get to I, I get to make that selection because somehow that gives me some sort of inside information. Should you not? So, you know, I, I think it, it 
comes as no secret to most people that, you know, heading into uh, the fall and spring, almost everyone has put Kumar Rocker, the right-hander from Vanderbilt, at the top of, of draft boards uh, or rankings and things like that. He is uh, very, very talented. Um, but there are some question marks there. Uh, you know, and Jim and I have heard some of them, uh, you know, it, unbelievable electric stuff, power, fastball, breaking ball combination. But uh, there's command issues, lack of third pitch issues. So I'm actually going to take Jordan Lawler as the number one overall pick high school shortstop. I think he is the most talented overall player in the draft. He played well throughout the summer. Um, you know, if not, you know, jumping off the page at every event, consistently good against good competition uh, and, and sort of went from a very, very good high school player to the best high school player. Uh, and uh, I know Pirates fans want Kumar Rocker and they want someone who will get there fast. Uh, but if I'm picking number one, I'm taking who I think is the best player. This is how I think the pick should actually be made, by the way. When the commissioner steps to the podium, talk up one player, hype him up, and then <laughs> pick, a, pick a different player. No, but I talked about the the question marks around Kumar Rocker. I'm just saying, I, you know, I'm not bashing Kumar Rocker. He's unbelievably good. But there's some reliever risk there, uh, and so that's why I'm not taking him. Do, do you feel like Pirates fans would be disappointed in, in this pick at this point? I, I feel like Pirates fans are just – they already have in their mind that they're they're getting Kumar Rocker. I, well, I think everybody does. Like I, we, we've talked about this. I mean, Kumar. There's a very good chance Kumar will probably be number one on our list. Um, but everybody, like, not so much with people who cover the draft, but it just when people write stories, it's it's you know, tank for Rocker or whatever. You know, I'm sure there's catchier phrases. And Kumar is not say Steven Strasburg, where he's a slam dunk, can't miss. Right. You know, obvious number one. There are guys who think that Jack Leiter on his own team could go ahead of him next spring. Um, you know, which again is not a knock on Kumar. Jack Leiter is very talented, also. And I think the public perception. That Kumar is this guy who throws, you know, 19 strikeout no hitters every time he pitches. You know, he did that once in the regional against Super Regionals against Duke in 2019. That that you're getting that guy every time out, and so he's Kumar is both very very talented, and I think a bit overhyped in the public eye as to exactly you know, where he stands in relationship to the rest of the draft class, if that makes sense. And he very well could be number one on our list. And with that said, Jim, you pick number two for the Rangers. Are you taking Kumar Rocker? I, I will take Kumar Rocker at two. I, I, I think the two choices that, that for me I could take number one right now would be Rocker or Lawler. I will, I will, I will quibble with Jonathan a little bit. I, I, I don't, I, I don't think there's so much reliever risk with Kumar. I mean, you could say that literally about any pitcher. Um, and I hate it when scouts start throwing every guy. Cause like even now, 
you know, multi-inning relievers help you win World Series. So I, I don't so much worry about reliever risk, but, you know, on the plus side with Kumar, you know, it's a mid-90s fastball, can be up to 99. It's a wipeout slider when it's on. He's big, he's physical, he's built for durability. He's 6'4", 255, um, you know, pitched great at the end of his freshman season. You know, he had that 19 strikeout, no hitter in the Super Regionals against Duke. He was most outstanding player at the College World Series. Now, you know, and then, you know, this is a guy who's been on the microscope because he went into his senior year the summer before senior in high school as the top-rated high school player. So he's been on the microscope a lot, uh, scope a lot. And I think he just gets nitpicked some. You know, the changeup can improve. The delivering control can improve. But it's premium stuff. So I, I don't I don't disagree with the notion that Jordan Lawler could or should go number one potentially. To me, he and Rocker are, are the top two guys in the draft. So if, if I'm picking two for the Rangers – uh, you know, as of right now, it's kind of an easy decision. I'm just taking whoever the Pirates leave on the board for me. So the Rangers take Vanderbilt right-hander Kumar Rocker, number two. Jonathan, the Tigers are on the clock picking number three. Now, I want I want to point out to, you know, to people that we're not like doing this based on what we think the team is going to do. I think it's fair, you know, fair to to point out. You know, we're, it's not like we're looking at trends. <laughs> you mean you haven't? Like you're that. not texting these teams as we do this podcast <laughs> to right, find right. out who they're picking up the draft for yeah, today. I'm actually going to make sure yourself, that the Pirates take Jordan Lawler, so we look really smart. Um, you know, like I I can't remember the last time the Texas Rangers took a college pitcher in the first round, but they they're also picking higher than usual. So anyway. Uh, moving on to the Tigers, I think this is where it gets interesting because things kind of get mushed together. I feel like Rocker and Lawler have separated themselves to an extent, and then a lot of the other players have kind of, you know, uh, the next group have kind of jumped together. So you're struggling with this pick. I, I'm struggling because I'm not sure what. Uh, what to do. I think, you know, and I'm going to throw size out the window and take Matt McLean from UCLA. Uh, and it, as we're getting feedback, it's been a little all over the map. McLean, if people remember, was a first round pick of the Diamondbacks and didn't sign, um, went on and struggled his freshman year at UCLA uh, but was really good uh, in the brief 2020 season. Um, you know, I, I think he, he looked really good this fall, a chance to be a plus hitter with above average power, but he's small. Uh, he has improved his defense tremendously where I think a lot of scouts think he has a chance to stick at shortstop. And if that's the case, then he really belongs up here. Uh, if not, he moves over to second base. And maybe he's sort of like a Nick Gonzalez type in terms of that offensive-minded second baseman. Uh, you know, the, the Pirates took uh, Gonzalez in the first round last year. Um, you know, so uh, interesting player. Does not fit the the physical mold of a guy who normally goes in the top three. But I feel more and more teams are willing to throw uh, that desire not to take a smaller guy out the window, especially if they think the the hit and power are there. So McLean will be my guy at three. And I was going to say, Jonathan, in that you know regard, Nick Madrigal went fourth. And Matt McLean is a little bit more physical, has more pop, and probably has a better chance to play shortstop than Nick Madrigal did. So if Nick Madrigal can go four, I don't think it's out of the question that Matt McLean can go three. 
And the lack of size, not nearly a, as extreme with McLean, right? He's listed as 5'11", 170. Yeah, you just can't stand him next to O'Neill Cruz in the team picture. Right. It, I, I, silly. I think most people think he's closer to 5'9", but, uh, but still, dude can hit. All right, Jim, pick number four, Red Sox. I'm, I'm going with the dude can hit philosophy <laughs> for 200, Alex. Um and I'm taking who I think is the best all-around offensive player in the draft. I, I considered pitchers, but again, you're not going to draft for need. I think Adrian Del Castillo is the best all-around offensive player in the draft. He's a catcher out of the University of Miami. He's got more extra base hits and more walks and strikeouts in his first two years of college. It's power. It's plate discipline. He's going to hit. Um, I'm not sure he's a catcher. Um, I'm not sure... I would keep him a catcher, to be honest with you, because I think, you know, we, we have this discussion. It goes back to Kyle Schwarber and, and others. But like if you if, if you catch him, you're, you're, you're not having him in the lineup on as, as regular a basis. You're taking a toll on his offense. So I'm not, you know, there, there's questions of whether Adrian Del Castillo can stay behind the plate. And I don't even know if that matters to me. I, I just really like his bat. So I, I'm going all in on, like I said, the guy who I think is the best bat in the draft, best all-around offensive player, and I'll figure out where exactly I want to put him on the diamond. But I, I, I want that bat if I'm the Red Sox at four. So the best bat in the draft class overall, being a college catcher, that doesn't sound that foreign. This happened just a couple of years ago. But I, but Adley I'm, Rutschman was a definite catcher. He's a plus catcher, right? The, you know, the, the only thing that I think holds you back with Del Castillo is – if he's not a catcher, then, the, you know, I think I agree with Jim, you know, he's going to hit enough that it's, it, I don't think it matters all that much. It do, might make a couple of teams up at the top pause for a half a second. Like, all right, well, if he doesn't catch, where do we think he plays? Is the bat enough for us to take him here, regardless of if he ends up at third or first or left field or, you know, wherever he ends up. You know me, I'm all about optimism. We're all about, my teams are all about what my players can do. Like Kumar Rocker, big arm, Adrian Del Castillo, big bat. We're, we're, we're all about what these guys can do. So we're, I, we're, we're, guys. We're, I would we're, we're, never we're, in a million years say that Jim Callis was all about optimism. Well, yeah, nobody would. But uh, in, in this exercise, <laughs> we're focusing on what these guys can do right, and do right. well. Sorry, sorry. And we're, we're making the best of them. We're yes. celebrating the game. So, uh, I, you know, it's like, and again, I mean, if Adrian Del Castillo winds up at first, I've got Tristan Casas, but like, we're just, we're going to figure it out. We're taking the best bat at four. All right. And uh, we mentioned Adley Rutschman, which segues nicely to the number five pick. That goes to the Orioles. And Jonathan, you're on the clock. So I don't want to prove Jim Callis right. <laughs> But I'm going to prove Jim Callis right with something he said before we started recording. And I'm going to take Jack Leiter here at number five. Um, This is an interesting one because scouts have seen what? I think he made three or four starts as a freshman at Vanderbilt. And before that, they saw him pitch as a senior in high school in New Jersey. Now, he was good in the summer showcase circuit. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but he's super athletic. Uh, this, you know, Al's son. Uh, the stuff is is very good. The command was not great during that brief stint <clears throat> as a freshman. But as a high schooler, he was kind of known for his feel for pitching. Uh, so I, I think he's the kind of guy who 
if he comes out and pitches very well this spring, we'll be right up at the at the top of the list. And uh, you know, like Jim said, maybe he ends up even surpassing Rocker because of the the feel for pitching and uh, and and the full repertoire. Uh, but there <laughs> there's so much unknown that it that it's hard to know for sure. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna roll the dice a little bit and think that he's going to take a, a step fo- another step forward here in a full season and show that he belongs uh, in, in this uh, neck of the woods. And this, I think, fits into, you know, w- you know, what could work well for the Orioles. Uh, and not that we're using that that much here, but, uh, you know, to add another pitcher who could potentially move relatively quickly would not be would not be a terrible fit for for that farm system right now. All right. Two Vanderbilt right handers in the top five picks. Number six, D-backs, Jim, you're up. Well, I, I think they, they, it'd be interesting if Matt McLean were still on the board since they took him in the first round and loved him out of high school. Um, but in this scenario, he's not there. I'm going to stick with SEC right-handers, and I will take Jaden Hill out of Louisiana State, who I think if he's healthy uh, this spring, he had some, some minor shoulder issues as a freshman, obviously didn't get a chance to pitch a lot last year. But if he's healthy this spring – he could be right up there with Rocker because it, it, it's similar stuff. It's a similar frame. He's six foot four. He's he's not quite as as. I mean, he's not. He doesn't lack physicality. He's about two hundred thirty five pounds. Kumar is about two fifty five, but he's a big physical right hander. He's also been up to ninety nine this fall. Um, he has less of a slider, but it's a good slider than than Rocker. He's got a better change up. He might have better command than Kumar Rocker uh, when all is said and done. So I, I think he's a little bit. Nobody's sleeping on him. We're going to have him in our top 10. He's going to be very high on our list. So nobody's sleeping on him, but he has the possibility, you know, he hasn't pitched a lot in his two years of college, but he has the possibility of coming out and it's not impossible that he just lights it up this spring and he could be the number one overall pick. So I'm taking Jaden Hill at number six for the Diamondbacks. I I was tempted by an outfielder, but the the Diamondbacks have so many outfielders. I'll just let Jonathan in my, in my mock draft, I might have Jonathan going outfielder here at seven. All right. Royals have pick number seven so far. Very college heavy. Five of the first six picks. Jonathan, Kansas City. It's it's funny. I'm now having a hard time not thinking about what's in the farm system, even though we were sort of taking who we thought would be like the best guy to take. So there is a high school shortstop who I really like, but I'm not going to take him here because I think the Royals with Bobby Witt they you know feel that shortstop's probably locked up for for a long time and and not that you would necessarily shy away from it and figure out who plays where later so i will take uh judd fabian the the outfielder from florida with the number 7 pick i'm assuming that is the outfielder you were referring to jim it is um it, he you know really really good tools can play center field um a little bit of power over hit some concern about the swing and miss um, that worries some scouts, uh, but I'm not going to worry too much uh, about it right here. I just think that the the you know the potential is, is really high. Uh, one of the few guys who went out and played uh, over the summer in the Florida Collegiate League, not quite the same level as the Cape Cod League, but he did hit well there. And we'll have to watch the swing and miss and see uh, how he does in the spring. I think. Uh, he is a guy who could sort of slide up and down. You know, he he could end up being the first college position player taken ahead of McLean, even ahead of Del Castillo, if he has a if he has a huge spring, uh, especially because of his uh, ability to play center field. 
All right, that's pick number seven to the Royals, Judd Fabian out of Florida, and the Rockies have the number eight pick, Jim. Yeah, Jonathan, this feels like a little bit more of a struggle because looking at who we've picked, I feel like those are the top seven players in the draft right now. I mean, obviously things are going to change between now and July. I got to get used to saying July rather than June. Right. But, but doesn't it feel like those are your top seven players in whatever order you decide to put them in? Like that feels like that's a clear top seven for me. Yeah, and I, I I think that's right. You know, there are a few guys who could jump their way in, and you know, like a guy like Fabian, if he comes out and striking out a ton, he could move down. Um, but right now, yeah, I, I, I I'm with you. And I could, I mean, I could see Fabian going three if he has a good spring. But anyway, yep. so this, so this is a little tough. I, I am going to go with the Rockies here. I guess I'm going to go with the with, with the guy who I, I feel is going to hit. Um, I feel like that's the, the best route to go here. I'm going to go with Alex Benellis, third baseman out of Louisville. Um, I, I think he's going to be, you know, 270, 25 to 30 left-handed, you know, hitter. Um, you know, I, I, he's, you know, I think the question with him is, can he stay at third base? Some guys say he can. It's pretty split. And it's not like a, Guys are in the middle. Either you think he can or you think he can't. He actually ran surprisingly well in scout day. You know, he ran like a 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. It doesn't quite play that well, but I mean, that's quick enough for third. He's got arm strength, but it's a little bit funky at times. You know, so maybe he's an outfielder. He definitely runs well enough to play the outfield. Um, although, you know, course field, obviously a, a big outfield if I'm drafting him for the Rockies. But I, I just like that bat. And I, 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 think, I think here's where if you were surveying teams – you might get if you if you asked five people, they might give you five different answers as to who should go at number eight if these first seven guys go. But I will go Alex Benellis. And in, in my mock draft, I'm I'm wondering if Jonathan for the Angels might go high school third baseman at number nine. That, that, that's my prediction. All right, Jonathan is Jim's prediction. Don't make us wait any longer. <laughs> I had to look to see who he was talking about. You know who I'm no, talking about. Come on. I'm not going high school third baseman. Okay. Okay. I mean, he, he's a current shortstop, probably moves to third, but I know you like the guy, but it's okay. Oh, okay. Well, then I think we're disagreeing on whether or not Marcelo Mayer can play shortstop. No, no we're not. We're talking about a different guy then. Oh, okay. Okay. So, yeah, yeah no, Marcelo no. So Mayer's I gonna, fine. I am going to take Marcelo. Well, thank you for, for that <laughs> vote of confidence. You know, if you didn't approve of it, I may not go there, but uh, that was the high school shortstop I was referring to with the Royals pick. Um, was tempted to go high school right-hander here. Uh, but I am going to go with Marcelo Mayer for the Angels at nine. Uh, you know, he stood out probably more for his defensive actions. Uh, he always he, he always hit, you know, lots of contact. Um, I think there's going to be power to come. Left-handed bat for an up-the-middle player is hard to uh, – those are hard to find. And, uh, you know, I think that of the guys not in the top seven – you know, if he comes out and has a, a big spring, I think he will move up the list because of his ability to to play a premium position and and swing it from from the left side. All right, Jim, are you with the number ten <laughs> pick for the Mets going to take the player that you thought Jonathan was? No, I'm take? not. No, I'm I didn't not. think you would. So, 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 what does Jonathan's mock show me doing here at ten? I think you the... take the high school right hander. You know what? I'm I'm not I'm not going to. I considered ah. him. But uh, I'm going to go for a guy who, like, like there's there's more risk with this, but he's, like, just infatuated me since we first started talking oh, about I him. I think right. on a podcast when you were on vacation, Jonathan, and I was like, why aren't more people talking about this guy? Yeah, and he's going to rank on our list. Like but I, 
I, I'm going to go with James Wood, a high school outfielder from IMG Academy in, in Florida. And he just fat. I mean, look, there, there, there's some risk with any high school bat, but I mean, he's six, six, two thirty, center fielder, plus raw power, good at bats, good approach, left-handed hitter, definite center fielder. I mean, he could be plus tools across the board. So, um, I will take, I will take James Wood. Um, you know, both he and, and, and Marcella Meyer are, are like, are guys who like, we're going to have them ranked pretty high. People know who they are, but again, we're talking about like the average fan fall in the draft. I, I don't think these guys have been quite hyped enough. <laughs> both these guys are really, really good. I did consider Andrew Painter. Yeah. That's the, the high right, school right hander you were talking about. And I also, you know, if I went college pitcher, I might've gone Ty Madden, but, but I'm going to take James Wood. He's just fascinated me. And it was interesting because you were on vacation, I think, Jonathan, like right after the East Coast Pro where he had was the top performer. And we were talking about, it, and I just said, like, when we're, you look at how this guy's described, like, why isn't he considered like a first round talent? Like none of the other media lists had him anywhere close to the first round at the time. And, and I just didn't understand it, but like the feedback we're getting in particular, you, cause you do Florida for us is that he belongs somewhere in the upper half of the first round. So I, I, I love James Wood. The idea of James Wood, I will take James Wood at 10. That's a good pick. I like this. This is a good top 10, top 10 picks here. It's very, very, very solid. And, you know, and, and it's like not a shock if Andrew Painter doesn't go in the top 10. Cause we all know, you know, high school right-handers, you know, high school pitching in general tends to sort of slide down, the, even even if ever so slightly. Um, could he go in the top ten? Sure. Could he go in the next bit? Sure. Could he slide to the supplemental and get paid? Absolutely. So uh, I, I'm totally. It's not one of these glaring omission kind of deals for me. So there it is. Our top ten picks for the 2021 draft: three college right-handers, three high school position players and four college position players. So that was our attempt at a way too early mock top 10 of the 2021 draft. Obviously, a lot is going to change. Had a chance to chat with the guy who actually is going to be responsible for making the number one pick in the draft. And that, of course, is Pirates General Manager Ben Charrington, recorded back on December 8th when we come back on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com slash MLB. GetRoman.com 
slash MLB. With the seventh pick of the 2020 MLB draft, the Pittsburgh Pirates select Nick Gonzalez, a shortstop from New Mexico State University. And that was, of course, the announcement of the Pirates taking Nick Gonzalez with their first selection in 2020. And uh, I'm pleased to bring into the Pipeline podcast right now the general manager of the Pirates, Ben Sherrington. Uh, ben, last year, your first draft, and obviously not, not your typical draft season because of the, of the pandemic, uh, I, I wanted to take a, a quick sort of look back at, at going through all of that and, and what it was like to just try to, to prepare for one, a shortened draft and two, without being able to, you know, get the, the normal looks and data and information that you would to prepare for, for, for a draft, especially because when you first sit in that general manager chair, as you know, like that first draft, you want to sort of put your best foot forward and you were kind of doing it blindfolded in some ways. Well, it was, it was a different year. I mean, uh, as you know, I mean, I love the draft and, you know, love trying to learn about amateur players and um, try not to hurt the process when, when I do that. But uh, it's not only important for us and every team, but certainly a team like the Pirates, but it's something I just enjoy being involved with. But if I think back to last year and getting ready for the 2020 draft, um, really it's Joe Del Cari, whose name you know, that's the person who faced the most challenges, uh, not just in, you know, leading the group through the pandemic and figuring out how to prepare for the draft in a much different environment, but also getting used to a new boss, Steve Sanders, their assistant GM, and Joe reports into Steve, and then a a new GM. And so, you know, talk about someone's world being upside down. Um, And Joe just did a terrific job uh, leading through that. I think, uh, doing a great job getting the group um, really galvanized um, and together and cooperating and um, being creative and collaborating in different ways. Uh, a lot of it virtually um, thinking of different ways to evaluate players, share information. And uh, so I think our group put us in a really good, and through Joe's leadership, put us in a good position to, you know, make good choices on drafting. That leads me to sort of my, it's, I won't even call it a two-part question. It's almost two separate questions. But the first is, you know, how do you work on integrating, you know, you had scouting staff here, Joe Delacari has been the scouting director. And I say here, cause I, I live in Pittsburgh, so I do it without thinking sometimes, but um, you know, it, you know, Joe's been leading the scouting staff for quite some time. And then you come in or any new general manager comes in, his own ideas. You bring Steve Sanders in, who was integral in, in helping with the draft in Toronto. Uh, you know, talk a little bit about how you integrate the, those you know two pieces and make sure that you know everyone's moving in the in the same direction. And then also, I'm curious, you know, because people teams had to be really creative in how they addressed the draft last year. I'm wondering if any of the things that had to be done in 2020 out of necessity are things you're like, huh, well, maybe we can do similar things moving forward from an efficiency standpoint, even if, you know, knock wood, the 2021 spring looks something close to normal. Yeah. Well, you know, first of all, as far as like the transition into the pirates and then working with Joe and then, you know, hiring Steve and then working together, um, you know, like, 
uh, I think the first thing is just you're you're trying to get to know each other as people and what matters to people and what do we value and how do we treat other people and you know in Joe's in Joe's role um, it's as much about leading staff and helping staff develop it develop as it is you know making a choice on day one of the draft so um, and I've known Joe for a long time like he and I were you know bumping into each other at high school games in Florida 20 years ago so. Um, I've known, known him for a long time, really respect him. And, um, and ultimately you're trying to get, you know, just take the best of what was already happening here. Um, maybe add some, some ideas that Steve brings from his experience as a scouting director of the Blue Jays. And prior to that with the Red Sox, I may have perspective on things. Um, there's almost never, it certainly was the case with the Pirates. It's not like there's any input that's not already being used, right? It's every team is looking at mostly the same inputs. Um, it's probably just a question of how we communicate those, how we're presenting them. Um, are we weighing one a little bit more or less? Um, and then ultimately, how do, we, how do we plan for the draft itself? How do we structure the preparation so that we can um, get the board in the best possible spot, you know, by draft day and, and make good decisions? And I do think to your point that we learned some things through that in 2020 that we can take forward um, in some cases, even things that there was no reason we weren't doing before. So, you know, if you think about it, like one of the key things our scouting group is doing is just getting to know players and learning about who they are, what makes them tick, you know, why baseball matters to them, et cetera, what their support structure looks like. Well, a lot of that happens through the in-home visit or through um, due diligence they might do through talking to coaches or people around the player. And of course that, should still happen and we want that to happen, but boy, you can do a lot through zoom these days. <laughs> you know, we could have done that a year ago too, or two years ago. Um, I, I do think we found out, we found that we can, we can do some of the work virtually um, maybe even more officially. It might even make it easier on players sometimes. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're actually right in the middle of doing uh, some zoom interviews with players right now in December uh, leading up to the holidays and we're able to get touch points with players and involve more staff than we, you know, than we would have uh, if we were all doing it in person. So that's one, you know, simple, small example. Uh, but yeah, I do think there's some things we learned from uh, 2020, not just around the draft, really, really the entire operation that we will uh, will carry forward with us. Yeah, the the ability, you know, sometimes virtual is a, is a good thing, and I, the the fact that you mentioned, you know, being in a being able to involve more staff, I think, because tipping an in-home visit is an area scout. Maybe if you're lucky, you get a cross checker in on a certain day or, you know, you go to a college campus, it can knock off a few of the interviews, but you, you can get these players in front of everybody, you know, including yourself when normally a general manager wouldn't necessarily be involved in those kinds of in-home visits, unless it was, you know, at the very top of the draft, I would imagine. So that's, that's gotta be a net positive. I think it is. I, I hope it doesn't completely replace the in-home because I think there's something that comes for that. Um, you know, in some cases, you know, even just the experience. I remember my first two home visits as an area scout uh, were Josh Wilson at uh, Mount Lebanon High School, not too far from here, and uh, Jeff Randazzo at Cardinal O'Hara uh, outside of Philly. And I'll never, I'll never forget the uh, Italian meal that Jeff's mom made for me in that first visit. Uh, I, I was, at, I must have been at the house for five or six hours, just kept eating. So uh, there's good stuff. There's there's good stuff that comes out of that in-home 
uh, visit outside of getting to know the player. And people should know area scouts are on the road so much that the, the idea of a home cooked meal is enough to pound the table to keep having in home visits. Amen. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's, let's uh, sort of start looking forward uh, a little bit. Obviously uh, you are in a position that no general manager wants to be in. No one wants to have the number one pick. Cause obviously it points to a, a, a disappointing season the previous year, but it's also a, a possibility to really impact a, an organization. Now, over the years that you've been, you know, in, involved in helping make decisions in the draft, you've, you've picked up close to the top in the top 10, you've picked down at the bottom of the first round, you've had really successful picks, you've had picks, we won't bring up their names, just like anybody in, in baseball. You know, but what are some of the things that you've learned from your direct experiences as you sort of look forward to, to this pick? And, and have you talked yet to other people who have sat in, in the chair you're in now when you're making the very first pick in, in next year's draft? Um, yes, I have. And, and even in some other sports too, um, just to, just to try to learn if, is there anything in terms of just the preparation or the amount of time that we might have to spend on things that would be different with the, with the first pick than it would be with a different pick. And I think we'll continue to learn about that. And, um, uh, I think the biggest thing, though, Jonathan, is I don't think this is specific to the number one pick, but just um, something I've learned over time, maybe even through some mistakes, is is to, you know, really make sure that I'm disciplined and respect the work um, of the people who are closest to the process of getting to know these players. And that certainly includes our scouts, uh, but it also includes our analysts, our athlete performance team, um, We've got a group of people getting to know people, uh, you know, in terms of psychological and cognitive profiling. Um, those are the folks that are, you know, focused on that work all the time. Ultimately, will have the most valuable perspective. Uh, my job is to listen, hopefully ask good questions, offer perspective, um, and do the best I possibly can not to sort of, you know, allow my opinion on a player to uh, way into the, in, into the ranking, um, you know, that much at all. Um, I think that's where we get in, in, in trouble as leaders, uh, when we try to do that. Um, my opinion matters in certain ways, but, um, the people that are closest to these players doing all the work every day, those are the folks that are going to help us get it right. It, I would imagine it's hard not to feel the the pressure of i mean you want to get every draft pick right you want to get your first round to right particularly but when you pick number one overall there is that like well you, you got to nail that one because you know otherwise you know it, it, uh, it it's the opportunity to really change a franchise that being said there are examples of teams that have not done well with that number one overall pick uh, you know, for, for all the credit the Houston Astros get for, you know, rebuilding our farm system and building a winner, they whiffed on two number one picks uh, yeah. and, and sort of lived to tell the, tell the tale. Do you have to kind of remind yourself uh, of, yes, you, you, you cross all the T's and dot all the I's and we really want to get this right, but you can't put too much pressure on yourself for this to be the, the be all end all for an organization. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, look, in, to build a winner in Pittsburgh, we're going to have to do a lot of things well um, outside of making the right choice next July. You know, we know that. And, you know, sure, look at the Astros. They did a lot of things well outside of the draft. And then they did some things well in the draft also. 
uh, over time and that led to great success. Um, we're going to need to be the same as, you know, so um, now that said, I, I'd rather not um, take the chance or count on that without, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd rather make it a little easier on ourselves and, and get a really good player when we have the number one pick. And that's certainly what our focus uh, will be on. And, you know, I'm, I'm confident we will. Well, our uh, our first go round at our draft top 100 is coming out, and um, I, I will uh, uh, avoid the temptation to ask you about specific players. I mean, if you want to tell me who you're taking now, we can <laughs> we can just end months of speculation and questions about it. But I'm guessing you're not quite ready for that. Well, not not, not only I you know not sure that I would, but I just can't because we the truth is we don't know. Um, we know that uh, we know there's a lot of good talented players who will be eligible for the draft next year. And we're going to, we're going to take the time we have to get to know them as, as well, as well as we possibly can excited for that process. So I'm going to, I'm going to talk about two players that we have, we'll have at the, at the top of our list and sort of frame it in a more general question for you. So, uh, you know, and I think in some ways, at least as of right now, uh, it, they represent kind of different segments of a draft population than they separated themselves uh, to an extent and one is Kumar Rocker uh, the right-hander from from Vanderbilt and the other is Jordan Lawler uh, you know the high school shortstop and I only bring them up by name because I think it it creates a, an interesting question for anyone picking number one is how do you attack that that pick and putting aside that the vast majority of fans in Pittsburgh already think you're taking Kumar Rocker um and I, I will continue to tell people to take a breath before they do that, regardless of who Karma, Kumar Rocker is or isn't. But, you know, there is a sort of distinction between, you know, more advanced college guy who's dominated against top competition and, and is thus perceived as a guy who could get there and help more quickly and a guy who's coming out of high school who then might take longer but could be a, a foundational up-the-middle player in a guy like Jordan Lawler, you know, in a general sense, when you're looking at your, in your first round pick in general, you've done, you know, you've done this a number of years and even picking in the top 10 or even lower down. Can you talk a little bit about how you weigh what the right direction is to, to go in for an organization? Yeah. I mean, I think generally uh, teams are, are, are weighing um, their, their projection of the player based on physical attributes, based on, you know, qualitative, quantitative uh, inputs uh, together with risk, uh, with, you know, whether it's risk associated with uh, a demographic or risk associated with level of play or style of play um, or risk associated with health, you know, things like that. So every team is weighing all of those inputs um, and, trying to make the best determination on who is the best bet, who is the right bet at this particular point. Now we have the first pick, so we have a lot of time between now and July to, you know, figure that out. Um, it will truly be our choice uh, with the first pick. Um, so I don't think it's, I don't think we would think about it like, well, we need to sort of run towards a particular demographic, uh, but rather, you know, we just have to look at all of the inputs and weigh them appropriately and figure out um, who is the right fit for the Pittsburgh Pirates and, um, and you know, get to know players in the process and 
let them get to know us just as importantly. You know, we want players to, to, you know, to be able to learn about what we're trying to be as an organization and, you know, what we can offer and the kind of environment they'd be coming into. So that needs to be a, a sort of two-way exchange of information. And, uh, and we look forward to that process. Good stuff. Well, Ben, it's always great to talk to you. It is a sign of the bizarre times that we are both in Pittsburgh, and this is the first conversation we've had since you've taken over as general manager. Um, my hope in 2021 is that I will see you on a baseball field in person uh, at some point in time, uh, where I much prefer to have these kinds of conversations. But thanks uh, so much for joining us. I hope so too, Jonathan. Thank you. One of the things that MLB Pipeline and on the MLB Pipeline podcast that we were able to do back in October was to tell some some really interesting stories in and around what was going on in the postseason. Every player that did anything in the playoffs obviously came from the amateur ranks, was scouted, signed, developed, and we tried to tell you some some of those stories. And every postseason, of course, has an unusual, an unexpected, an unsung hero. No one fit that bill more than the Rays. Mike Brasso hit the series-winning homer against the New York Yankees against arch nemesis Araldis Chapman, who had thrown at him earlier in the year. What a great story. And our Jim Cowles was able to track down James Benici, the area scout, who signed Brasso, not as a late-round pick, but as a non-drafted, And that's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. Uh, So a right-handed hitter. Digging on in against Chapman here. The first pitch on its way. Look out over his head. Are you kidding me? And by the way, that pitch was 101. Well, and the Rays have to start. Re- re- I mean, I hate using the word retaliating, but you got to answer stuff like that. Here in October. I mean, a 1 1 game and a deciding game where there's going to be a last at bat win. 2 and 2 to Brasso. Swing and a foul. The pitch. Swing and a foul to the right side at 99 out of play. Brasso hanging in there tough. Two and two the count. The hold and the pitch on the way. Inside. That was close. And it's three and two. 101. A full count to Brasso. He's ready and throws. 
Swing and a foul, and Grasso just got a piece at 99 to stay alive. Grasso uh, digs back in, and another 3-2 pitch due to him. Here it is. Swing and a long drive. Deep to left field. Going back is Gardner. All the way to the wall. It's gone! A home run for Mike Grasso. The Rays have taken a 2-1 lead and sweet justice in San Diego. Jim Callis from MLB Pipeline here with James Benucci of the Rays. He's an area scout with Tampa Bay. And he's in the news because one of the players he signed years a few years ago as a non-drafted free agent is definitely in the news. Mike Brasso, big series winning home run against the Yankees in the AL Division Series. Pretty incredible. As a, as a fan and as a scout, James, what was it like for you just watching that at bat? I mean, you're invested on the team level. You're invested on the personal level. He goes down 0-2. It's a 10-pitch at bat. There's history between them. What was that like to watch just from your perspective? It was incredible. I it was it was something surreal. I, when he got down 0-2, I'm like, oh, here comes the high fastball that got him the night before, and I have got to give it to him uh, from uh, you know signing him to seeing him now. His plate discipline is fantastic because the next couple of pitches that he laid off were pretty tough to lay off of, and 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 for him to work the count to even and to foul off a couple of good pitches, uh, I thought it was just. Uh, surreal and incredible because I, I was, I couldn't believe that he did it, to be honest. I just was like, this is, you know, you're, you're, you're got the white knuckles, you're vested in the team, you're vested in a game that's that, that high leverage. And he, he came through. It was unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. You've been with the Rays for a while. So was that the most excited you've ever been? Would go into the world series in 2008, maybe top that? I mean, how does that rank with your moments in baseball? that's probably the number one. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't get any better. Somebody that you'd signed, uh, whether it's non-drafted or, or a drafted player uh, in order to put the major league team into the next round with that home run is, is far, uh, far and away the, the most I've been invested. Uh, I think I had Andy Sonnenstein on the team in 2008 uh, when we won it, but that, this was definitely uh, a top that. How many texts of congratulations did you get? after he hit the home run over the next day or so. Yeah, I got, uh, I got plenty. That was great. I mean, the, the, our whole, our whole organization, a lot of guys reached out, which was fantastic. I mean, but I've been there 20 years. We're a pretty tight knit group. So uh, if it were somebody else's player, we'd all be doing the same thing. We got a bunch of great people that work for us. Well, so it could wind up being a pretty nice year for you, James. You could have a, a playoff hero and possibly the national league rookie of the year. Getting back to Mike, when did you first see him? I know he was a part of a pretty good Indiana high school program, not a big time prospect coming out of high school in 2012. He spent four years at Oakland for our listeners who don't know much about Oakland University, but they have players every couple of years. It's a decent program. It's, it's the horizon league is probably below the mid major league, like the mid American conference. It's more of a probably a third tier conference. It's a small conference, but they do have decent players. When did he first catch your eye and, were you scouting Oakland that day or were you actually scouting the opponent when you saw him? Well, I had, I saw him uh, as his junior year at scout day and John Mustachio is the head coach there at the time. And, you know, I lived in, I, I grew up in Rochester, Michigan. My mom worked at Oakland university. So I was real, I'm familiar with that area. So, you know, those were a lot of home games for me, just stepping in there for a couple innings and stepping out. And on scout day that day, he just kept, you know, he told not, not, not only me, I think all the scouts is like, Hey, keep an eye on Brasso. You know, he's really a good player. Uh, and, you know, he ran the 60 fine. I remember it was like 6'8". It was average. You know, he was just a good college player. 
And at that, you know, he's five, nine, maybe 170 pounds. And you're, you know, in our industry, it's just like, okay, maybe next year. Uh, well, a senior year comes along and I just poke my head in there. Cause John, John just kept pounding the table. James, you've got to come see him. You've got to stay on him. And I'm like, okay. And, and John's, you know, he's a really good guy. I like getting in there. And he matched up against Sean Murphy and there was a lot of scouts. I had already gone in there and there's a couple scouts of us that we'd gone down the line. Um, and we were all kind of in the, in the same agreements, just a good college player. And, you know, it's one of those things as a scout tough to sink your teeth into like, Oh, you know, he's five, nine, he runs average, he throws average. What is he, you know, what are the, his big separating tools that can put him and it, you know, at, at, I, I'll have to admit, there really weren't any separating tools for me from Mike. Uh, but he had just a really solid game across the board. And, and, and that's kind of what stuck out to me um, that year going into the draft. We know he didn't get drafted, but uh, our assistant scouting director at the time, Tim Stagel, called me and they needed a body. And we had a couple of injuries in rookie ball. And they had said, James, you know, you got somebody in mind. We need a body down here to fill in to play shortstop, second, third, somebody to play. And I go, I absolutely do. Uh, and now I made the call immediately to Mike and it was a no brainer for him. It really wasn't. He was, he was, he was totally ecstatic to sign and he couldn't, he was, it was just, he was really excited. Did you turn him in for the draft? Was he a guy you were angling for late or as you said, no, I mean, he no. had a good senior year. I mean, he, yeah. I think he led the horizon in on base percentage. Yeah. He, he showed more power, but as you no. said, he's not a big fiscal guy. There's not really a plus tool. He was on, he, he was on he, yep, he was on that list the, after the draft players for me, and and that's how it happened. And as you said, I mean, I, I guess, I mean, when you don't get drafted and you're a senior, you know, it, it's not like it's tough negotiations, but how how thrilled was Mike to get that call? I mean, because, I mean, I guess, obviously, he wanted to play professional baseball. He, I guess he could have gone independent ball if, if a team hadn't come calling, but I guess in some ways your career probably flashes before your eyes a little bit when you don't get drafted. I mean, how long after the draft did you wind up contacting him? Was it pretty quick or – it was, it was immediately because, okay. you know, you know, it was uh, player development scouting has to go through those rosters. Right. And I know on the third day, as soon as the third day had, had, had was over, I got a call that night okay. and, and, and Tim had called me. He's like, Hey, we're going to be short on position guys at the Gulf coast league. Do you have anybody in mind? And I called Mike. I was like, yes, I do. I, and when I called Mike, he was, he was, he was excited and uh, went and we signed him the next day. And he, when I went to sign him, I, I'm, you know, expecting maybe to put him on a flight the next day to get him down there. He had already had his bags packed in his car. I had no <laughs> clue on that. They were in his trunk. He's like, well, he was, he's like, well, aren't I leaving now? I was like, do you want to go now? I was planning on flying you out to the next day. He's like, my, and so I called the, our travel agent. I flew him out later that afternoon and he got down there ASAP. He really wanted to play. No, oh, he's definitely shown that. At what point or, or how early in his career did you maybe start to realize you know what? He, he might be a big leader. Because I assume when you sign him, you know, you're signing him to fill a roster hole. You like the way the kid plays. It's not, you know, the greatest profile. You're not necessarily thinking, okay, slam dunk big leaguer here. I just signed, you know, but I mean, he came into pro ball, he hit in the Gulf coast league, which isn't too surprising as a college guy, but he went to Midwest league. He hit, he started showing power when he got to double a, at what point, how early in his career did you realize we might really have something here? This is pretty interesting. The funny thing is, I think it was after his first year. I mean, I could, he was our MVP that year in the Gulf Coast. I'm like, that's good for him. You know, at least he's going to be able to come to spring training because he'll be 23 the next year. He, he hit his way onto the Bowling Green Club. He probably wasn't initially slated to go to Bowling Green, 
But that spring training, he hit his way on to that Bowling Green Club. And watching the reports, when we get we, we get the instructional league reports, the spring training reports, we get all the reports. When reading those reports, his, his at-bats were phenomenal. He was hitting the ball hard. He was hitting it with power. He was playing shortstop. He was playing third. He was playing – and they were really using him as a versatile uh, player. And when he made that Bowling Green Club and – how he started out, I, I I thought that he would have a chance at that time, really, that early, because he had already survived. He's a non-drafted. Okay, he put that aside. All the development guys that I talked to were, loved his work ethic, loved his makeup, loved every part about him, uh, that he came to the park every day to learn and get better. Not everybody does, you know, and, and he did every day. When a guy – when he so when he gets called up to the big leagues, do they – do you get a heads up from player development or the GM, you know, saying, Hey, James, pretty cool. We're about to call up Brasso or does he call you or maybe both? How did, how did you find out he was getting to the big leagues? And then how soon did you talk to him after that? Well, I was, uh, I was doing pro work in Midland last year, Michigan. And uh, I got a call from RJ and RJ is just like, Hey, your guy's going to get called up. I thought it might be uh, Jake Cronenworth because they're both having really good careers. I was like, Oh, wow. Okay. He's like, yeah, Mike. I was like, what? I was just floored. And he's like, Hey man, it's not out there yet. They've just flown him with the team. They may or may not activate him. Cause I think they, I think maybe Daniel, somebody may have gotten hurt. I think Daniel Robertson may have gotten hurt. And so it's, it wasn't official. And you just never know like, okay, he's fine. They put him back on a plane, send him back to Durham, but he actually flew him out there. And I was just like, as soon as they activated him, yeah, I, I called him right away. I couldn't be more, I just ecstatic for the kid. He, Everything he's done, all the heavy lifting to get there. And what was that like when you talked to him? I mean, I mean, I got to imagine. I mean, this is a guy who three years earlier looked like his career might be over, and now he's. In, I mean, he's not just in the big leagues. I mean, you guys are a contending team. I mean, you know, it, it, there's obviously a lower bar sometimes to clear if you're a hundred loss team. You know, they need bodies. But I mean, you guys are trying to win, and you're, you're calling up a guy who was undrafted three years ago. Well, Bobby Heck had told me he, he when, when he was there and they called up, Bobby had said that he he's faster. He's playing at a faster level in Durham, that he's ready. And and when I heard that, I'm like, wow, he's that's uh, he's just not a guy. Then He's just not a utility guy. He's a major leaguer because if he's playing at the speed that he's playing at, then that's going to translate pretty easy to the major leagues. Um, and he did. He's, he whatever he did in the offseason to get ready for last year, uh, his speed. Uh, on the base pass, his speed and his infill, his quickness, his bat speed, all of that was at least a tick or two up, according to Bobby, and it was ready to go. So um, when I told him that, I go, man, whatever you did this year, you've you've done it right. He was just he was ecstatic. He couldn't believe that he was good, that, you know, he comes from a small town in Indiana, you know, and and he was he he was speechless. I know I was speechless talking. to him. <laughs> How much better is he as a hitter than when you we saw him at, at Oakland to what he is now? I'm, I'm, I, our development people are amazing. They flat are, uh, his at bats that I, that the clips that I've gotten through the minor leagues each year, exponentially better plate discipline, exponentially better. And then to see his at bats this year in the big leagues, the stuff that he lays off now or the stuff that he swings at is right on cue. And, and that's a credit to him and our, our guys in our minor league system. Our, our hitting guys are outstanding in the major leagues and minor leagues. They've, they've done some great work. His, he's always been able to hit uh, more of a gap hitter when he was in college, gap to gap. Uh, and now he's, he's gap to gap as well with power and with just uh, big time bat speed. 
I mean, his at-bat against Chapman was incredible. I mean, to get down 0-2 and fight and fight and fight, and then hit a 100-mile-an-hour fastball out uh, was amazing. And then, I mean, I, I guess you probably weren't surprised because you know him well, but obviously there was history with Chapman throwing 101 over his head earlier in the season. And so everybody wanted to build it as, oh, revenge. You know, Brasso got revenge. And, and then, you know, the, I think it was Lauren Shahadi maybe who's interviewing that. I forget who's doing the interview. I think it was Lauren was interviewing him after the game on TV. And he wouldn't have any of that. He's like, no, I was just trying to have a good at-bat, hit the ball hard, put it in play. I mean, you know him better than we do. I mean, did that surprise you at all? Not at all. Most humble guy you'll meet. Literally, the most humble guy, the most gracious guy that you'll ever meet. Uh, and is definitely not looking to start anything with any of those guys. And and it was a professional bat. I mean, he was looking to win the, the baseball game. And I think in the playoffs, I don't – anything that may have happened before that – they, they just went there to try to win the baseball game and, and put on the best at-bats they could against, you know, Garrett Cole, who's one of the top right-handers, and then Rolls Chapman, the best left-hander in the game. You're there to try to get on base some way, somehow. And I think he said it the best. No, I'm just there to try to get on base and get a hit. How much better can this story get for Mike, do you think? I mean, he's already obviously exceeded expectations just by getting to the big leagues and then being productive in the big leagues. I mean, shoot, he's even pitched four games in the big leagues. Um, now he hits a, a game-winning home run. I mean, just from watching him, I mean, is there more to come? I mean, I mean, I know you guys have a, a fairly stacked team, but, I mean, this looks like the type of guy who might be an everyday player in the right situation. You know, yeah, I don't think the story's written uh, all the way written for him. He's going to have a, a fantastic major league career. He really is. He's, um, he's one of those guys that's in the clubhouse all the time early. He's a glue guy. He plays multiple positions. Uh, he's got a chance to have a, a storybook career, really. Uh, and most of those non-drafted guys just don't. Maybe they get a cup of coffee and they're done, or maybe get a couple years and they're done. Uh, he's got a chance to play a lot of years in the major leagues, and it's 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 a credit to him, really, because he's got the want to, the willpower, uh, and he's he, he is one of the most gracious and humble guys you'll meet. Okay, well, thanks a lot, James. We really appreciate it. Okay, Jim. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Well, I don't know about all of you, but all of us here at MLB Pipeline ready to close the book on 2020, look ahead to 2021, and of course beyond. That's our jobs as we look at the game's future. The next MLB Pipeline podcast will be coming to you on January 5th, 2021. So we'll see all of you next year from all of us at MLB Pipeline to all of you. Happy holidays. And here's to a better 2021. So long.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 